Season three of Formative is brought to you by the generous support by Macy's Inc., whose purpose is to create a brighter future with bold representation for underrepresented youth so we can realize the full potential of every one of us. Welcome to Formative, the show where today's leaders are interviewed by the leaders of tomorrow. This week, we have Isla Abdul-Rahim. She's a successful visual artist and Broadway wardrobe professional who will be telling us all about her creative work. Hello and welcome. I'm Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge. And my co-host today is Priyana from MS356Q. Priyana, it's so great to be with you today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, my name is Priyana. I was raised in South Ozone, Queens, but two years ago, I moved on my mom's birthday. I am here to represent Community Voices Middle School. Both of my parents are from Jamaica, but they're from different parts. And I usually speak English, but when I'm with my dad's family, I speak Patois. And my favorite subject is math because I like to be challenged and I want to be a nurse or a lawyer when I grow up. And one accomplish that I'm proud of is that I made it to the honors class and able to take the regents this year. Great. So Priyana, you have a very exciting interview today. Yeah. I don't want to wait any longer because I'd love for the two of you to talk with each other. So let's bring in and welcome Isla to the show. Isla, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for inviting me. So what's your first question for Isla? Why did you want to work in theater? Huh, I was thinking about that earlier today. I have been involved in theater since I was 15 years old. We didn't have majors in my high school, but if I'd had one, theater would have been it because that's all I did. I didn't learn how to drive because I was too busy going to rehearsals. I didn't do driver's ed. Everything was theater. I went to college. I did a visual arts too, double major. And both of those, but theater kind of took over my life. That's what I was doing mostly in college. That's nice. It was always a part of my life in one aspect or another. Initially was performing. And when I realized that I just liked being backstage and being involved with putting the production together, that became what I did. Was working on theater wardrobe your dream job? No, I, not really. I did things as they came to me. You know, I was doing textile art. I was working in metals. I did set design. You know, I'm not a set designer, but if someone needed one and didn't have a real one, I would pitch in and do that. And I did costumes and fabric dyeing for smaller companies. My dream job was to be a successful artist. And success for me just meant me being happy doing my art and not having to compromise that in my life. So... You know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> but no, it wasn't a dream job. I wasn't even thinking about working in wardrobe. How long did you work in theater? I just found out from an email I got yesterday that I am getting my 25-year wardrobe pin for my wardrobe union. So I didn't even realize I'd been around for 25 years with them. But that's how long I've worked in professional theater under my union, which is Theatrical Wardrobe Local 764. Yeah. And each region has their own local but ours encompasses people who work in film, theater, and television. I've worked on all three, mostly theater, but um, I didn't know I'd been doing it for 25 years because it seems like just a few years ago, but it's obviously been a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Isla, could you tell us a little bit more about your visual artwork? Yeah, I work in paper, a lot cast paper. I was doing textile dyeing 
and fabrication. And most of my work winds up being something someone else needs for a project they're doing. Like I've done masks and puppets for other people's productions. I've done props for documentary films. They're my design in collaboration with the director. But in recent years, time being a factor, that's mostly how I express what I'm doing. And when I have time, I paint a little bit and work in metal, jewelry design and jewelry fabrication. But whatever I can do, whatever I can squeeze it in. Can you vividly describe one of your favorite pieces that you did? Oh, gosh. I will describe to something that I'm hoping to see. It's sculptural, but it's basically a prop piece for my friend's documentary on the history of lynching in America. And there are tree stumps that symbolize where people were, you know, people will stand and speak from those tree stumps, giving voice to the people who did not survive that action. So that means a lot to me because she's been working on this for a very long time, and I was really grateful to have an integral part in the design of her work. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, What's your strengths and weaknesses? My strength is that I like to figure things out. I like to work out a problem. And I find that is like the epicenter of my creative juice, per se. I mean, that's what gets me excited about working on something and solving a problem. And my weakness is lack of patience (laughs) with myself. I can be very impatient and grumpy and probably not very pleasant to be around when I'm actually working on something. So generally I work by myself, which is a good thing for other people. (laughs) Same here. Who inspired you in growing up and why? Well, my, my parents, actually, my father was a woodworker. He's somebody who was like, just figured things out. You know, he liked breaking things down and putting them back together. And I kind of learned by either helping, watching him and my mother. We'd go to the art supply store all the time. And we would have projects that she either found somewhere or something that we were always making something in my house. So them. And then one of my first theater teachers in high school was dynamic. She was a graduate of Carnegie Mellon. And she came to our high school and really treated the students like we were in a professional theater company. So we were taught things that they weren't learning in other high school theater classes. But I've never forgotten her. She was not much older than we were. So that might have helped. <laughs> she was very dynamic and She really broadened our horizons theatrically, so I enjoyed her. I always think of her when I'm working somewhere. That's nice. What is your work routine on a daily basis? I'm retired now, so it's whatever happens. But when I was working, the last job I had on Broadway, I'm a day person, and, you know, Broadway shows happen at night. So Mm -hmm. when I was dressing actors and working evenings. That was difficult for me because by eight o'clock, I'm kind of getting drowsy, but the show's not over till 11, so I have to stay awake. <laughs> I transitioned to working in the daytime, and I love that. I was in the theater before anybody else, just me and the cleaning staff usually, at 8.30 in the morning, so I had a couple of hours of solitude to fix something. I enjoyed their company, but it was nice to focus on what I'm working on without their input <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> or distraction. <laughs> So that was my routine. I'd get up and I'd get to work. I'd work on something. And then as everyone Mm -hmm. else came in, we would collaborate and decide what we were going to do. You know, what was the priority for the show that night? We were doing repairs for things that would go on stage at eight o'clock that night. So we had a limited amount of time to get it done. Okay. How well do you multitask at work? Very well, because we had to. Even if it's just regular costuming, what they're doing on stage, their action on stage, it would come from a costume designer, come from the costume shop the way the designer designed it, but it may not work for the person that has to wear it. And you might not find that out until they're doing something on stage and there's a problem. So you're sometimes working in the dark, got to get it fixed before that person goes back on stage. And while they're standing, waiting to go back on, I worked at Bring in the Noise, Bring in the Funk, and it was built around tap dancing. 
And the guys, the cast in that show, Savion Glover and the other men who were in that show, tap a particular style that's very hard. So they're very hard on their shoes. And we had a lousy bunch of taps and the taps were breaking on stage oh. while they were dancing. They would break apart and like shrapnel flying into the audience and, you know, dangerous. And I got to the point where people would throw me a shoe while they were moving, kick it off their foot oh. and I'd be in the wings and I'd put the tap back on and fly it back out, which caused me bodily harm later. <laughs> the time I thought, you know, I'm doing many things at once because it's a lot. You have to, you can't sit and don't have a lot of time. And even when you work during the daytime, like I said, if the rhinoceros and Lion King broke, they expected that back on stage at eight o'clock that night. So whatever happened, you had to have it up and ready, at least usable, even if the final repair hadn't happened. It had to be in a shape that it wouldn't injure the person using it or anybody else on stage or look bad when it got out there. Do you sometimes feel embarrassed or you feel bad for that? <laughs> sometimes it's exasperated because, you know, if you'd had another hour, you could have done it better. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just hold your breath and cross your fingers and hope it was going to be all right and you wouldn't hear about it later. That's most nights. What happens when you mess up or make a mistake at work? Oh, not good things. If it's something that only a few people know about, it's okay. You can get back to it the next day. Like if it's something that will fall apart on stage and then the producers and the stage managers and the higher up people in the offices who are just panicking, then they will. And on Broadway, there's a show report. So as the, there are several stage managers, usually if it's a big show and they're watching everything, they're on headset, they're monitoring everything and taking care of the actors, taking care of everything happening. And they notate when things don't work because they have to, you know, we'll just fell apart on this at this time and this is what happened. So it'll be written down in stone forever. You're not going to get blamed for it, but everybody knows what happened. So it just don't want that. It's just not a good feeling. You want it to work. And if it's not working just right, I mean, you can say, well, this is still a work in progress, but it's usable. Then it needs to be. You don't want to embarrass the person using it. You know, you don't want a costume to fall apart on somebody on stage. That's terrible. You don't want anybody to trip and fall over something that came undone. You don't want beads coming off of something because like the last show I worked in, the stage is automated. There are people running the way the stage moves by computers. If a bead or something that shouldn't fall falls into that, it could get caught in the gear and then that piece of equipment doesn't work. And a lot of people are mad. So you kind of want to keep your stuff, you know, keep it in order and not be the problem. It's not life or death. And that's when I was there, well, if nobody died, okay. But, you know, you don't want anybody to have a bad experience, not a person that came to see the show and not the person who's got to get through the night, you know. And if you can, like, if something is just not usable, you have to just say, well, we can't use this tonight. You got to work around it. That's never good, but it's better than it exploding. It's not exploding literally, but, you know, something going terribly wrong. That involves a lot of people because that's worse. Mm-hmm. So it's pressure. But, you know, once again, like I said, it's kind of exciting to problem solve. I don't even know you know who MacGyver is. That was so long ago. <laughs> it's just like, especially gadget MacGyver kind of mentality where, you know, you may be working with a popsicle stick and some tape, but you got to make it work. And we have literally done that, you know, tape things together, zip ties and tape and hope it doesn't fall apart before the end of the show. What's your pet peeve about actors? Sometimes they can act like whiny, spoiled brats. That's unfortunate because not. I mean, I have some. I have. I love actors. I have a lot of friends who are actors, and that's not everybody. But just when you're not in the mood to be bothered with somebody having a tantrum, there there are some of those. 
where people kind of, it's, it's, it's a me focused art where, you know, you are your own instrument, you're your own everything. And sometimes that carries over beyond your role on stage. You know, you, everything is centered around that person in their mind. So I get it sometimes, but sometimes it's not pleasant. <laughs> it's difficult to work with, but I have, you know, generally I've worked with really great people. They're not like, that's not the norm. Almost every show I've worked on, everybody's been like a big family. You know, we do things together. We celebrate weddings and baby showers and support each other when someone loses a family member or a friend and if it's a disaster, we raise funds for that person. And even the people who can behave badly will rally when they're needed. If everybody recognizes everybody's value in the situation and doesn't think it's all about what they're doing, anybody could be like that mm-hmm. in any department. So anywhere, any job. So that's just life. If you had the chance, would you do your job all over again? You know, I think I might only because I learned so much. Every day was different. The research and design aspect of working, particularly in wardrobe and probably any aspect of theater, it's like you have a problem that you have to solve it and you have to solve it in a limited period of time. And I love that. I enjoy making things. I enjoy using my hands and I enjoy giving the space to come up with an idea that they're going to let me do to see if this works. And yeah, I enjoyed that that aspect. I've met some great people, some lifelong friends, very talented friends. You never know what somebody's doing when they're not doing their the job you know them to do. What's your favorite Broadway or off-Broadway show? Uh, well, Breaking the Noise, Breaking the Funk. I love that show. It was Black history told in tapping poetry and spoken word and music. And I I would come sometimes in the behind the audience and just to check a costume or something and stand there and really start crying because it was just so profound to me that, you know, the words and the meaning. I don't know what the audience was getting from it, but that's the intent of putting the show together. And I found that the most meaningful thing I've worked on. I like Off-Broadway a lot too, because it's more inventive sometimes. You don't have a lot of people putting money into your production who want to return on that investment. So mm-hmm. you're not blocked as much with creativity. People can get away with more or be more expressive sometimes in an off-Broadway setting, off-off-Broadway regional theater. You know, my favorites change from time to time. Sometimes I'll see something that's, oh my God, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Milton, I got so excited when I saw that show. I just really wanted to say, where do I sign up? I just want to get this every single night. It was mm-hmm. that moving and flawless and so well-performed and well-written. And I, I love that. What did you get out of Hamilton, Isla? Oh, precision. And the telling of American history in a way that I think makes sense. And to see that brought to life in a way that's not dead, boring, and dusty. And to see contemporary art, like spoken word, and brought into that to invigorate it. And to see, you know, the inclusivity of the cast and the intention of making everybody understand that this is our history. Now, it doesn't belong to one group of people. Maybe these people were whoever they were, but the story and it's human. So I enjoyed that. And I thought it was really just a well done production, you know, just looking for dirt on the costumes. Like, oh my God, those pants are snow white. And then I said, oh, you don't want to work there because somebody's back there doing that. <laughs> so that, that's really what stopped me. I said, oh my God, there's not a rip. I was four rows to the stage. And I could, I said, there's not a thread hanging. There's not a, I just, no, that's too much. There's too many people on the stage. I can't do that. But I love the innovation because that doesn't happen often. That's what art is to me. Like, you know, shake it up, bring something new to the forum, let people experience something that they didn't think they wanted to. Are there other playwrights that you enjoy? 
Yeah, I enjoy I enjoy Beckett. I enjoy Arthur Miller. I like Shakespeare. Susan Laurie Parks. I love Lynn Dottage so, so much. And right now, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm not a musical theater fan, which is funny, because that's where I've always worked on Broadway, because they run longer and they hire more people. But I love drama. I love straight plays. I love the interaction of words and the emotion just in the word and the actor. I don't need music. I don't need singing and dancing. I don't need an orchestra. I just need the actors to speak the words of the writer. And that, to me, is the most profound work on stage because that's as real as it gets to me. That's no fluff, no glamour, no gloss. It's just communication. Do you have other girls that you want to meet? Other goals that I want to meet? Yes. I'm still working on that successful art career. <laughs> so, <laughs> finding the time and the discipline to sit down and get my work done, whenever that might be. And travel. You know, I've, I haven't had a chance to really do the traveling that I want to do. Love exploring and meeting new people and finding myself in situations and places that I didn't dream of going to. So yeah, that can always happen. You're not done till you're done. I always have to travel. I have no choice. <laughs> Traveling is great. There's nothing better than that, I don't think. Since my dad lived in Florida, I have to travel back and forth. Ah, what part of Florida? Orlando. Ah, nice. Good, good for you. Mm-hmm. If you could visit anywhere in the world, where would you go? Well, I would love to go to Nepal. I'd love to go to Benin. I have friends of friends in Tanzania. I really want to go there. I have a good friend in Australia. I want to go there. I have a good friend in New Zealand. I want to go there. <laughs> I would love to go to Ethiopia. They're just making a truce to go into ending a civil war there. So I'm hoping that things calm down and I can get there. How is life treating you now? Pretty good. I'm, I moved from Brooklyn to Buffalo, New York to be with my mom. And that's great. I haven't lived here since I was 18 years old. So Getting to, you know, know the city again and settle into being here and dial it down from New York because that's so fast and this is not fast at all. So <laughs> adjusting, you know, slowly to, to the environment. And I'm you know, doing my own projects from here. The project I mentioned for my friend, I did that in her basement in the backyard. So I'm more placed to make a mess here than I did in my apartment. So <laughs> I can actually get more done. So that's good. What was your schooling experience like in Buffalo? It was good. I was always in a specialized program, so my, I could walk to elementary school from where we lived before, and then I went to junior high school that was several neighborhoods away. I enjoyed that immensely. I enjoyed the teachers. We had excellent music teacher and theater teacher who kind of pushed me to do things I didn't want to do, but I did them because they threatened me, so I had to. And high school, it wasn't the high school I wanted to go to, but I was offered an opportunity to go, so my mother said I was going. And I did. And I don't regret it. Very innovative in some aspects. And I had a film teacher that was amazing. So I learned a lot from that. I'm thankful for the education I did have here. I did not like the commute and the cold because I have frozen at bus stops and all of that. But I thought I was fortunate enough to get a really good elementary, junior high and high school education. I'm thankful for that. I had teachers whose philosophies changed my way of thinking. And I think it's not so much about what you're learning in the class, but what you're learning in the experience and in the environment is just as important, if not more. Because I don't really remember a lot of the classes, but I do remember the interaction with people who, you know, put some thoughts in my head that changed my life. Mm-hmm. Do you have any pets? 
No, I would love to have a cat, but my family, my extended family is definitely afraid of cats. So I figured if I got a cat, no one would come visit us. So, no. I hate cats. I don't know. <laughs> Do why. you really? Yeah. I love it's Cats are either, people either love them or hate them. There doesn't seem to be a middle ground with cats. I don't know what Don, <laughs> there's some wiggle room, but cats, I don't know. Cats are like either thumbs up or thumbs down, but I like cats. I also like them because I don't have to walk them. They scare me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a lot of people's response. And they're unpredictable. You know, like a dog, you can kind of expect. A cat will do what it wants to do. They don't care what you think. <laughs> What's your favorite kind of food? I love food from Southern India. I love things with coconut and lime and hot peppers. And But if I could just pick and go to a restaurant a couple times a week, it would be Ethiopian. I just, that's just something I don't seem to get enough of. I do here because there isn't any place here. But I'm waiting to go to Toronto because there's a whole street full of Ethiopian restaurants and I can just eat my way down the street at some point. I never tried that. I would like to, but I never did. It's really good. New York has some great Ethiopian restaurants. What's your biggest fear? Wasting time, I guess. Just not making good use of my time. Not getting the things done that I want to get done for no particular reason other than I didn't do them. Not because I was busy doing something else or I was tired. Those are legitimate. But I just sat there and thought about it. I'm good at that. I'll think about things for decades. <laughs> not to, so that's my biggest fear. That will go on too long and things won't get done. How would you like to make an impact on the world? I would like to create work that inspires people to think and to become better and to appreciate life, their own and others. And that's a lot to ask for. And I don't know that I'm going to do that, but that would be one way. And the other way I hope to have some opportunity to volunteer. I think giving back and volunteering and helping is everybody's responsibility. I think that's very necessary. I think that we can't live a singular life and really live. I think you have to live with other people in mind and participate and change if you want, or just survival. I mean, just to help people get to the next day and maybe have a thought to go beyond that. Do you ever get a chance to relax? I'm learning how to relax. I thought I did, but I realized that I need to be doing something constantly, which I think is relaxing, but sometimes it isn't. So <laughs> sometimes there's too much of that. So I'm trying to learn that it's okay not to do something some days, but I get antsy. So I like to have something to do. That makes me relax because then I can zone in and just do that thing and sitting around and just kind of looking at the wall. I'm not a TV person. I don't like to sleep. <laughs> so I don't think just sitting around relaxes me at all. It just makes me think of things I could be doing. But I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> so Isla, thank you so much for joining us today. And Priyana, thank, thank you. you for co-hosting. We ask all our guests the same question. Mm -hmm. it, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your 13-year-old self? <laughs> I would tell myself not to listen to other people so much and what they think I should be doing and to have more faith in what I want to do and kind of stay guided on that. And to believe in myself a little bit more, I think, you know, to believe that the things I think I want to do, I can do and to just follow that, you know, and to laugh more. <laughs> <laughs> Not take things so seriously. But I think that's it. I think just, you know, just listen to me a little bit more than what other people think. And I'm pretty good at that. I really 
stubbornly, I guess if somebody says, do this, I'm going to probably definitely do the opposite just because. So, but that's, that might be another problem. (laughs) Well, great. Thank you again so very much. It's so great to see you, Isla. Thanks for listening to Formative, a production of New York Edge. I'm your host, Rachel Gazdick. My co-host today was Priyana from 356Q in Queens. She was assisted by Hannah Prescott-Eberly. Season 3 of Formative is brought to you by the generous support by Macy's Inc. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. This episode was produced by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Post-production by Alex Brower. Original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.